Hey everybody, Racer Roo Radio coming at you this weekend. Um, doing something a little different this week. Uh, I'm down here in Myrtle Beach uh, with my family hanging out. Um, and Jordan's still up in Pennsylvania, but with all the back and forth and everything, um, been hard to get together and, you know, don't have, uh, have quite as good access to get on a Zoom call down here. So, uh, we're recording segments separately today. Jordan's got his dirt news coming at you here in a little bit. Um, but we, uh, so that's, you know, that's why it's a little bit different this week. Um, just to keep you guys ta- up to date on my ACL injury that I've been dealing with post-surgery now, two weeks post-surgery, uh, off crutches, starting to walk normally, been uh, trying real hard to get the inflammation out and get the range of motion back, going through PT. Um, so things are going very, very well there. Uh, I think we're definitely, I think, on pace with where I should be. So, um, but... You know, down in Myrtle Beach, or, or at any beach for that matter, it can't go on sand, so it can't get in the water, which is where I usually like to be um, in, on, or around the water. So just kind of being able to sit on the balcony and look out at the water. Uh, can't get in the pool yet because my uh, incision um, hasn't scarred over completely yet. So um, limited in some of the stuff I can do, but, you know, still on vacation, relaxing, having fun. Um, and I hope y'all are too this weekend, uh, getting some time with friends and family and, uh, just finding some time to, you know, rest and, and, um, just enjoy yourself with whoever it might be. Obviously we want to, uh, remind everybody what Monday is for and, you know, who it's for. It's not just a, a day off. So, um, hopefully you're thinking about that and that's going to lead into our fit tip, um, and so our fit tip this week isn't so much a fit tip. It's just a reflection, I guess, of, uh, the most synonymous CrossFit workout there is, uh, which is Murph. Um, even those who are not really into CrossFit, but, you know, do other forms of training, uh, we'll do Murph at, you know, at some point around this weekend, either Memorial Day Monday or, uh, one of the days around it. There is, I think, a day dedicated to it specific day. Um, I just don't remember which day it is, but, um, so if, if you're not familiar with it, Murph is a workout. It's very pop, probably the most popular, um, CrossFit workout. It's a hero wad. So it's named after uh, a fallen soldier, uh, Michael Murphy. And so, um, this is a workout that he used to, to do himself you know, overseas, uh, pretty regularly. He called it body armor at the time, but, the workout is a uh, one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 body squats, and then a one-mile run. Um, and it to do this, you know, the correct way, quote-unquote, uh, you have to wear a weight vest, which is uh, 20 pounds for men, 14 pounds for women. Um, so, uh, you know, just hearing that, you can hear it's very, very uh, taxing workout, um, just very tough, but it's a very good test of your fitness to see, you know, where you're at. You got some pulling in there. You got some pushing. Uh, you got a lot of cardio. You got obviously the squat, which is not loaded, but it's a good test of your endurance, your, <laughs> your will to, to stick in, uh, a workout and do a work, you know, do movements that may not necessarily be that difficult by themselves, but with the, the volume 
that you're doing become extremely, extremely difficult. Um, so what I wanted to touch on this week is, uh, you know, Murph, a lot of people do Murph. So number one, if you're doing Murph this week, uh, take a good account of where your fitness lies. You know, you get a lot of people that get to, to doing this and they want to do it as prescribed. They want to do the weight vest. They want to do all the reps. They, uh, they want to, you know, run the full mile on the, at the beginning, at the end. And that's great. And it's a great test for some, someone who's, you know, getting to that level. Uh, I give you for, uh, for instance, uh, my wife, uh, I think is in probably some of the best shape she's ever been in, which is uh, really incredible post, you know, having a baby exa- almost exactly one year ago, my son Zach turns one on the first. So pretty incredible the the fitness level she has gotten to over the last year. And so she's someone who, you know, she really struggles with pull-ups, but, you know, maybe this is the year where she will go and, and do the full mile run and she can do the pull-ups with a band around or... So, so something like that, like, you know, she can advance to that next stage where, you know, she can complete all the reps. She can do the run instead of the rower. Um, and, you know, next year, maybe uh, as she is getting better with pull-ups, as, and she is, um, maybe next year she can do all um, regular pull-ups. And then maybe the next year she can do it all with the weight vest. But it's really, really important to to know yourself going into this workout. If you're not ready for a weight vest, if you're not ready to do all of the reps, if you're not ready to to do the body weight movements completely, you know, push-ups on your toes and do uh, regular pull-ups, um, you know, it, it's okay to, to use a band for the pull-ups. It's okay to go onto your knees for the push-ups. It's okay to scale the run down to a half mile, to a quarter mile. Really, really important here. We want you to, to test yourself for this workout. Um, but not it, there's no sense in getting in here and just absolutely destroying yourself. Number one, because it's just not smart for your body to to absolutely go way way above and beyond and overreach in a workout and be destroyed for a week. But that's not what this workout's even about. You know, it's it is about testing yourself and challenging yourself and trying to do something you haven't done before. But the real purpose of this workout is the community, and so it's really. The idea is really to do this in a group setting and have that group where you can cheer on each other and encourage each other and, and have that uh, community feel. That's that's really what this is about. And, and so um, if you go ahead and do this workout, keep that in mind to enjoy the workout. Push yourself, test yourself, but don't be so focused on the time. It's not a competition. You know, I know we focus on the leaderboard, but it's not a real competition. It doesn't matter if you get 38 minutes or if you get an hour and 38 minutes. All we're trying to do here is we're trying to be a little more active. We're trying to test our bodies, trying to do something a little bit better than what we've done before, trying to prove to ourselves that we can handle a little bit more than what we have before. So I encourage everyone to go out and and try a version of this workout this week. Um, For example, for me, uh, I cannot run. (laughs) I can't do squats. 
So I got, I'm going to have to get creative. What I might do is I might, um, instead of running, I might get the rower and put a chair in front of the, or not the rower, the ski erg. I might get a chair and sit on the ski erg and pull the ski erg instead of uh, running because it's just something I can't do. I can't squat, so maybe I'll just substitute with that. I might not be extremely confident getting down on the floor and doing push-ups. So I, I might throw a band around uh, the squat rack and do chest presses. So finding a version of this workout that you can do that is very close to the, the quote-unquote standards, um, but still being able to to complete the workout scaled as what you need to be able to challenge yourself uh, I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, obviously if you're very accustomed to doing this workout, uh, it's okay to, to look at the time and try to, you know, beat your time from last year, but we don't want that to be the focus. It's, uh, it's, it's all in fun. It's all in remembrance and it's not, it's not to be taken too seriously. I don't think so, uh, get out there, do a version of Murph, find a way to do it. Um, per what you're capable of and push yourself just a little bit and just uh, remember uh, Michael Murphy and, and all the fallen soldiers this weekend while you're doing these workouts. And so with that being said, we're going to turn it over to Jordan for his segment right now. He's got his dirt news and he's going to give us his pick for – he's actually going to give us his pick for all three races this weekend. Alright guys, so here we are with some dirt news. Gonna hit you guys coming at it. Bale's adding in a little bit right there. So we had the Outlaws, the All-Stars, local racing all last week. So we'll jump right into it. Last weekend, at the fabulous Lincoln Speedway. Freddie Raymer, he picked up his, I don't know, maybe second, third. I think it's his second win of the year, which is cool for him. Finally getting the monkey off his back. He's been wrecking a lot. Um, Friday night at the Grove, Lance DeWeese, he picked up the win. Of course it's Lance DeWeese. He wins Port and, and Williams Grove all the time. Nothing surprising there. Um, then this week we had a middle race at, uh, it was a Thursday night race at Sealings Grove. And Giovanni Selzy, he picked up the win there. He set a new 25 lap record, finishing the race in 7 minutes and 12 seconds. Oh yeah, winning by 12 seconds, which is it outrageous but it was pretty cool to see so we'll jump to the all-stars last weekend on friday night they were rained out saturday they came back to plymouth wisconsin and the north pole nightmare bill baylog picked up his first win of the year then they went over to angel park in wisconsin and hunter schoenberg coming out this year and getting a couple uh wins this year it's pretty cool to see him winning He's been there close, but he hasn't been able to get over the top. Then the All-Stars were in town this weekend. They were at the Grove Friday, but Mother Nature wouldn't allow them to happen. Um, then Saturday, they're at Port Royal. And um, the crazy part is, Port Royal, they have uh, the the Wiker Memorial, which is one of the biggest races that's around here. Um, and it was, a really, it was a really close race between Macri and Lance DeWeese two of the top drivers in, in Central PA right now. But Anthony Macri picked up the win last night um, in night one. 
from what I'm understanding, they're going to have a second night. So that'll be pretty cool. But um, Anthony Macri picked up the win last night. We'll see what happens today. Last night at Lincoln Speedway, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, I think it was Dylan Norris actually picked up the win last night. Um, it was a pretty close battle between him and Bree Hershey, and she ended up spinning out, which is unfortunate for her, but then Dylan Norris drove away with it. So pretty much that's all I have for the local dirt news. Then we'll jump to, guys, don't forget, September 3rd, the Elijah Memorial Race. It's coming up quick. Um, the Stevie Smith Memorial Race is next week at Lincoln, which is going to be 19000 to win. I'm sure it's going to be a huge race. I'm going to be there. Um, but definitely don't forget about the Elijah Memorial Race coming at you um, September. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be fun. So make sure you guys get up here for that. Um, I almost forgot the World of Outlaws. So we'll jump into the World of Outlaws. And um, they were at Attica Raceway Park on Tuesday and just because Ryan said he doesn't win everything um Kyle Larson came back and proved that he's still here to win and he picked up the win at Attica then they got rained out on Friday night I think everybody did pretty much everywhere um Saturday they were at Atomic which Sheldon Hodenshield picked up the win it's cool to see him back in the winter circle I think he's going to make a charge through the midsummer, and I think he's going to be running up front so We'll see how it goes, but Sheldon Hanshield's my guy for uh, the championship this year, so he's got a little bit to get back, so hopefully you start hearing me say his name a lot. Um, then we're going to jump to some interesting things I have. So F1, I wanted to talk about um, yesterday, Perez was running, um, they were running qualifying, and Perez was in Q3, and he was in third place. It looks like he's going to be starting in third place um, still, but he ended up coming off the corner and smacking the wall causing a pretty big pile up um and max was on a flyer and it ended up not allowing max to run so max ended up qualifying fourth at monaco which is very hard monaco is very diff difficult to get around so we'll see what it has in store um leclerc tends to have a bad luck bug there he's starting on the pole carlos Sainz been Pretty much uh, taking himself out in every race. So we'll see if he ends up doing that. They're starting 1-2. Both the Red Bulls 3-4. So with the chance of rain, I'm going to say Red Bull pulls it out. It's going to be pretty close, but we'll see what happens. Then we'll go for my pick. Uh, we'll go for my pick for the Indy race. I think it's going to be Colton Herta. I think Colton Herter, even after flipping over on his lid, I think he comes back, takes the Indy 500. Jimmy Johnson, going to have a good run. I think he gets up in the top five. It'll be cool to see for NASCAR fans all over. But I think that's what Jimmy does. So we'll jump to the 600. And this week, I'm going to jump out of the box a little bit. But, I mean, at least for me, because I'm pretty heavy on Chevys. But, you know... I got to give it to Martin Truex this week. So I think he walks away with the 600 win. And that's all I have for you guys today. So I know Ryan's recording a part. So we'll jump up uh, with you guys next week. Until then, everybody remember what Memorial Day is about. It's not about flipping burgers and drinking beer.
It's about the men and women who sacrificed their lives for our freedoms. So don't forget that. All right. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Jordan, for that. And hopefully next weekend we'll uh, we'll get back onto more of a normal schedule of, of recording. Um, we're still trying to find a, a good method because uh, Zoom is – well, I can pay for Zoom. It's not a huge deal. But um, obviously we only have uh, 40 minutes on our Zoom calls, and we tend to run over that. Even when I think it's going to be a short episode, it always tends to run over an hour. So – uh, we need to find a, an answer for that so we can get back up to, to having YouTube on. Uh, the reason why I haven't done YouTube the last few weeks is because I've had to partition the episodes to get them done. And then I have to uh, put the videos together and it's just extra time. So um, hopefully we'll get that sorted out. So uh, we're going to move on to the uh, the NASCAR section of this. I want to talk about the All-Star Race. Now, first of all... Um, a lot of people are very critical of the fact that we go all the way out to Texas for this race. The reasoning for that, if you don't know, but before we really, really dive into why are we going to Texas, why are we doing this, doing that, the reason we go to Texas for the All-Star Race now is because SMI, Speedway Motorsports Incorporated, they are the ones who own Charlotte Motor Speedway. So we decided to move the All-Star Race away from Charlotte, and a, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we decided to start running Coda. Coda is not owned by the two major companies that own racetracks in NASCAR. Uh, ISM, Inter International Speedway Motorsports, I believe, is what that's called. I might be missing that. But that's uh, basically a company that NASCAR owns. So the tracks that NASCAR owns would be like Daytona, uh, Kansas. Um, a lot of those tracks, and you can tell by the logo, uh, which tracks they own um, because they don't look like the SMI ones. The SMI ones all have the same uh, circle logo. You can sit, like look at Bristol Motor Speedway, look at Atlanta. So all those tracks, if you look them up, um, they have that same kind of logo. That's the ones that uh, Speedway Motorsports owns. So the way that the rules are written on how we do the schedule um ism gets so many races a year and then smi gets so many races a year uh and obviously with the also race we've run that at charlotte for years and years and years so it's been an smi track forever the only times we didn't run it there prior to going to texas was we went to atlanta one year which was the second year of its existence i think like 1986 then uh in the covid year where everything was just wonky to begin with, we went to Bristol for that race, and we went there. That decision was basically made on the fact that there we could have fans, and in Charlotte we could not. In, in Concord area, we were still restricted, couldn't have fans, so we went to Bristol so that we could put fans in the stands, and that was a big deal for that year. So getting back to kind of the subject, when we start talking about the All-Star Race, and people saying, well, we should do this, we should do that. You have to keep in mind that it has to be, when it, with the format it is now, unless NASCAR intervenes, it has to go to an SMI track. So uh, I think last time when I looked, uh, SMI owns 11 tracks. So we're, we're going to break this down into, into ways, and I, I think I came up with a solution that would really, really fix this. 
But this is this is how we ended up at Texas because we wanted to go to an SMI track. We had, well, we had to because they're the ones who run the all-star race. We didn't want to do Charlotte. And with the addition of Coda, who's in, you know, they own, they're not owned by SMI, but SMI is the one who basically produces the race. Um, it's, it's their race that they put on for the fans. And the way we did this, we got rid of one of the Texas races. The spring Texas race became Coda. So in order to kind of backfill, if you will, Texas gets the all-star race. So they keep two races a year. Charlotte kind of lost one, but I think everyone was kind of okay with that, with the way things were going. Um, and then CODA obviously was added onto the schedule. This is why when people are questioning whether we go to CODA next year, this is why. It's because it's not as simple as just adding them onto the schedule. It has to be kind of this kind of code deal with SMI. <laughs> so when we, we talk about, well, we don't like running at Texas. What are we going to do? How, how are we going to make this right? Well, we can't just say, well, we just need to travel around to the different racetracks. One year we need to go to Martinsville or to Richmond or blah, blah, blah. and go Or we need to go do these short tracks around the nation. We can go to Stafford. It's just not that simple because as, as it is right now, SMI has to be the one that puts it on because it's kind of their race. So... Uh, how do we fix this? Okay, well, so you look at some of the other tracks that they own. Uh, at least ones that are active right now. They own Kentucky. Well, we're not going back to Kentucky. Kentucky's kind of a failed racetrack. We're going to push that one off to the side. They own Charlotte, Atlanta, and Bristol, Las Vegas, Sonoma, and Texas. Those are ones I can think off the top of my head. There's 11 total. Um, the wild card in this one is North Wilkesboro. They also own that. So I, th I don't know if I mentioned Bristol, but they, br they own Bristol too. So these are, these are the tracks that they own. So which one of those sounds good? You know, Charlotte sounds gr very appealing because the Oscar race, even though it pays out $1 million to the winner, um, the rest of it isn't really that much. It is... Not really a, a you know it's it's made out to be this rich race, but it's not really. And so, um, we go to Charlotte because it's very very inexpensive for the teams, especially a team like you know your Spires, your uh, B.J. McLeods, you know the the back market teams, Rick Wears. It, it's cheap for them because especially those teams that just do the open and are obligated to do the open. It's very inexpensive for them to just drive down there to Charlotte. It takes them, you know, 30 minutes of driving. You're there for a few days, and then you go home. You don't have to pay for hotels. So that's what makes Charlotte so appealing for that. Now, the racing in Charlotte hasn't been fantastic over the last several years, so we can go into it knowing that. But um, from a team aspect, it's very, very appealing. So on the flip side of that, you know, there's already criticism about driving all the way to Texas to do this race. Well, that also would eliminate Las Vegas because that's even farther away. Sonoma's even farther away. So we take those races out immediately. We don't want to go there. So here's my solution. You know, Atlanta would be fine, but Atlanta already has two races a year. So, and I don't know that it's a good all-star fit 
um, the consensus seems to be we want flash, we want bang, we want sizzle for this all-star race. It wants to, we want it to be glitzy. We want to remember, you know, hot, uh, one hot night and races like that. So my solution to this is actually we take away the spring dirt race as a points race. So just bear with me for a minute. We take away the spring dirt race as a points race. I think we put Texas back on, and you find in the spring, we can do some analytics. What is your worst weekend? What is the weekend that fans tend not to come out to the races? Um, TV-wise isn't great. We put Texas in that one. Because Texas, unless they fix the racetrack, it's not going to get any better. You know, they widen the track out, and we still don't use half of that racetrack in turns one and two. It's it's a 1,000 feet wide, and your groove is about a car length and a half wide if you're lucky. So we're not going to be running the fence unless we add some horsepower to that, and that's a big maybe still. So they need to fix Texas as a track before we can really take it seriously again. Um, I think that one time a year there's fine, but again, this goes back to SMI and them trying to get the most out of the racetracks. So we're going to give Texas two races, 400 miles, please. We don't need to do 500 miles at Texas ever, neither race. So give it a spring date. It keeps its fall date. And we're going to take that spring dirt Bristol race. We're going to move it to the middle of the summer. You know, and I think this makes sense. Make it like you're all, like an all-star, um, like the all-star break for baseball, all-star break for hockey and basketball. A lot of these are mid-season. I think that makes perfect sense, especially because we're not going to Daytona for our mid-summer kind of, you know, that, that was kind of our reset, I felt like, for Daytona on July the 4th weekend. So since we're not doing that anymore, this is a very, very good midpoint break. Maybe even throw in um, an off week after that. It's almost like a two-week break. Um, Bristol's not far. We can go up there and do this race in a day. Bristol can move their spring dirt, whatever you want to call it, their, their dirt weeks, to that midweek. Maybe it makes it a little bit bigger because it's in the you know in summer, and it might attract more people to come out to see all of the dirt racing that they do. Which, by the way, because of that, not because of the success of the NASCAR dirt racing, because of the success of all of the other racing that they do, uh, that race isn't going away. You're just going to have to deal with it if you don't like it. I think it's great. I think it's a good thing to add on to the schedule for once a year. And I think Bristol's a venue that can – can. it's probably the only venue that can pull off the enormity of all of the series that they're bringing. So – but I think that if, you know, you run that dirt race as an all-star race, uh, you make it segmented like a normal dirt race would be. I think it's going to make that race even more popular. I think it's going to make it a really big deal for the fans. I think it just makes all kinds of sense. It's something different that we don't see. This Texas race that we just saw, it just looked like a Texas race. There was nothing to it that made it all-star event. Um, So I think that that's the answer as far as location. Let's put the Bristol Dirt Race as our all-star race. Let's move it towards more, more towards the middle of the year. Give Texas its two races, put the spring date on your least successful weekend, and we'll just go from there. 
Uh, I think the question would be, where, you know, where do we run on Easter weekend now? Because it seems like they want to run on Easter. Um, but maybe that's another subject we can cover at, at a different time. Because I hadn't put too much thought into that just yet. Um, along with the All-Star Race, the, the, the formats are way too convoluted. It's super confusing to know what the rules are and who and what and where and why. So even me as a, as a NASCAR diehard, I had no idea what was going on. I just knew that the guys who ran good seemed to be the ones who stayed up front. So that the pit crew competition in the middle, it makes no sense because some teams, if you're bad, if your car's bad, you need to adjust on it. And so you can't, as a pit crew, really compete in that. And I think you saw that with some of the, you know, I think Harvick's team and I think Bubba Wallace's team, they had to make wholesale adjustments because that's their only opportunity on that round of caution. So now your guys don't get a chance to even compete. Plus, the best team all year long has been the 18 team. And because they wrecked out before that, they didn't get to compete. So, you know, hey, I think it's great that for Joey Logano's team that, you know, they came through and they won. But the best team all year didn't even get a chance to compete. So I, I don't like that pay crew competition being right in the middle. I think, you know, if you do that as the qualifying method, hey, I'm good with that. I think that makes more sense. It'd be nice to have the pay crew competition down at uh, the um, the Hornet Stadium like they did in the past. But, you know, that's a, a much bigger event than I think really is going to be financially feasible. So I don't think that that's in the cards. But... You know, prior to doing that, we always had the picker competition in Rockingham it, for years and years. It was in Rockingham, uh, second to last racer of the year. It, yeah, right about that time. It was late in the season. <clears throat> so, and it was just a drive in, do a pit stop and go. It wasn't any of this fancy stuff. And I think that's what the fans want to see. They want it to be a little simpler, a little easier to understand. <clears throat> so... Um, from an all-star standpoint, uh, I think we need to, to have some special rules, have some special this, this or that. But what they did this past weekend was just it, it was it was too much at the same time, too confusing. No one could understand it. And I think if you did uh, did the dirt race, like I said, that in itself just promotes special. It's a special set of rules by itself. Um, so I think that that is your better option. So that's going to lead us into the the special rule of we're not going to finish under caution. <laughs> and the with what happened with Ryan Blaney. Number one, I, I'm good with the, the rule. You know, we're not going to finish under caution. doesn't matter if the leader gets a yellow flag 100 feet before the, caution, before the start finish line. We're not going to do it. I think it makes sense. I think it's a good little twist. It's not a big it's not a big thing to add. Just hey, caution comes out on the last lap and you haven't taken the checkered flag, we're not done. It's very simple. It's very simple change. Now, was that caution warranted? No. Were they maybe trying to create drama that didn't they wouldn't have gotten otherwise? Maybe. Um, I think if you're going to eventually you know, say that the 12 team, well, it was unfair to them because any other race, they would have won with the caution coming out on the last lap. Okay, but at the same time, the race director, you'd have to give them the same leniency and say, well, if any other race, if something happens on the last lap, they just throw the caution, 
and at least your green white checker you have to give them the same leniency that you're giving the driver so i don't think that the caution was warranted but it you know it's fine it's whatever it's it, it happened and we've <laughs> on the last lap we we tend to want to not want to see cautions but it happened um it shouldn't happen but it did and then that leads into part two with Ryan Blaney putting his window net down. So here's where I stand on it. I understand. No, normal rules, he wins that race. I get all that. But, number one, you're not supposed to put your window net down before you get down to pit road anyway. That, so that's number one. Number two, the rules were very specific. You know, I, I'm obviously very into these things. But I'm not the crew chief. I'm not the spotter. I'm not the one who has to be very, very adamantly following and understanding the rules so that I know when this happens, when this happens, when this happens, that, that these are the scenarios. So your crew chief and your spotter have to know. You're leading that race. You get the white flag. They have to know. They have to be on alert. Caution comes out. Okay, we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. You have to be relaying that to your driver immediately. And I don't want to hear anything about, well, he was just in front of the finish line, blah, blah, blah. Texas has probably the most vibrant lighting system of any racetrack on their front stretch. Those lights came on, and it is clear. It would have been, it should have been very clear to Ryan that the yellow flag came out prior to him finishing the caution, the, crossing the finish line. And your crew chief and your spotter have to be aware. This is part of what they need to be doing. They have to be aware that if the caution came out, I don't care if you know or don't know, the caution came out, you need to be standing up immediately saying, did he cross the line? Were we across the line? What is NASCAR's official rule? You have to be yelling at Ryan in that case, Ryan, we may not be done. We might not be done. Hang tight. So, yes, the caution came out. It shouldn't have come out, but it did. And then the 12 team didn't react the way that they should have. So in my opinion, with that window net being put down, Ryan should have been forced to come down and put the window net up. That's – you as a team failed in that instance. You should have been more aware. You should have known the rules. You should not have gotten caught up in the moment. You should have told Ryan immediately. You should have been on that. So, and I don't want to hear any of this mess from NASCAR about, well, we weren't sure and blah, blah, blah. You have to be sure. You have to be sure with the window net. And I know that the window net's probably not as critical as what it used to be. Um, because of the, the cocoon that the drivers are in, their heads are much more safe. But you can still clearly see their hands can come out the window. This is one of the big reasons the window net was created was because of Ricky Rudd going tumbling down, I think it was Ricky Rudd, tumbling down Daytona, his hand sticking out the window, and just lucky it didn't land right on the window, you know, the car didn't land ground down on the window, because his arm would have been gone. You know, so clearly the drivers can get their hands out the window, you see it when they, you know, they win, they stick their hand out and wave to the fans, and we just saw a car just about get launched up on its door. Now, was with his window being all the way down, would something have happened? The odds of that, very, very low. I understand that. Did he get screwed on that last caution call? Yes, he did. But that doesn't excuse you 
from putting your window net down, from not, you know, as a team, failing yourself on that point. You guys at that point did not react to the caution correctly. And in my opinion, they should have forced Ryan to come down. At the very least, have him come down and say, we need to be sure that this window net is installed. You cannot install it from the drivers. It's hard enough to install it outside of the car. The driver cannot do it themselves. It's virtually impossible. So NASCAR had to have known. Everyone knew that this was, it, it was not correct. So NASCAR, in my opinion, should at the very least have called him down and said, hey, we need to check this net. If the net's installed correctly and by miraculous, some miraculous force he was able to get it up correctly, put him right back out where he came in. This is a safety check. We need to verify this. But if it's not installed properly, as it was not, then he goes to the back of the pack because he didn't follow the rules and his team didn't. His team failed him. It would have been on the spotter. It would have been on the crew chief. That the reason why he lost that race. And I think it's inexcusable. Um, it was a step back for the sport in terms of safety. Uh, and again, I know that the odds of something happening are very, very low. But still, the, these cars go where you don't expect them to go. No one would have expected Ross Chastain's car to ramp up over Kyle Busch the way that it did. So you, you have to think about that ahead of time. Safety needs to come first, and it didn't. And it was a failure for the sport, in my opinion. Uh, we just You just got to do better. Um, and I understand why Denny Hamlin is very frustrated because it, it, safety should have come first. And Denny would have won that race if, if it did. Um, I would have still been okay if, if they would have called Ryan down, put the wind in net up, and sent him back out. At least then admitting, hey, we shouldn't have thrown that caution. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt on this one. But just to leave him out there, knowing that there's almost no way that that wind net would have been up correctly... It, it's it was inexcusable on NASCAR's part, and I really feel like they need to own that side of it, because um, no one in their right mind believed the fact that they said, "Well, we couldn't tell if the window net was up correctly." You knew it. You failed. Just hang your hat on it. Say, "Hey, we we screwed this up. We should have done this differently, and we can move on." Side note of the All Star race: I think we got a we we definitely see that we have tire problems right now. Um, I know everyone's very, very frustrated with this uh, this system of tire, this uh, single lug system, low-profile tire. Uh, guys, it'll get better. It always does. Um, unfortunately, what ends up happening is that they start making really, really hard tires that don't wear out. And it ends up making very boring racing because they want to avoid an Indy 2006 situation, I believe, or 2008 where the tires were blowing every 16 laps. Um, it, it's it, That's where it's going to go. And I think we just need to give Goodyear time to to fix it, because it's this is an, a brand new thing for them. Um, you know, you can compare it to other sports, but our cars are different, uh, more than likely heavier. It's just, it, it we have, they have a lot of engineers working on it, and... It's still a learning process. We're still in the first year of this car. We're not even halfway through the year. It'll get better. Unfortunately, like I said, I think the way, especially if you really, really press them, the way it gets better is they make these really, really hard tires that have no wear, they have no give whatsoever, and then you don't see anything happening with the tires. And we, we don't want that. We want to go to racetracks. We want to see fall off. So you're going to have moments with, like what happened with Kyle Busch, 
um, with Kyle Larson, and it's just growing pains. We'll get through it. So be patient. It's gonna it it's just gonna suck at times for a little while. Um, but we've had plenty of races this year where the tires really weren't the issue. So it, it it's just gonna come and go. So be patient with that, and uh, and we'll get through it. So with that being said, I don't think there was too much more to talk about with the All Star race. I think it's just super confusing race. Uh, Texas isn't the place to have it. Um, Texas is really a racetrack that just needs we need to go one time. Um, I gave you a solution as to how we fix. They also race uh, where we where we should go. Uh, hopefully, y'all in, enjoy what my thoughts are there. I don't think it's going to happen because uh, actually, the the other solution to this is run the also race at Wilkesboro, and th- that's the other track that I said is a wild, it's a wild card. SMI owns it, but the plans for it are a little confusing. Uh, I think it'd be very very tough to hold a cup race there, and you don't really understand it until you go buy that track and you see you compare it to a charlotte you compare it to even a martinsville it's 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 there's no comparison it's closer to an arca track than it is to a cup track in my opinion and it'd be great to have a race there it's very close you know you could do something about it especially if you um anticipate not having a big crowd if you do something not anticipating having a big crowd it'd probably be fine but i don't think it can hold Right now, I'd be surprised if it could hold 20,000, 25,000 people at that location just because it's it's not just the racetrack, not just the stands, but the surrounding area. It is you know, one lane coming in, one lane getting out. So, yeah, I just I don't I don't think it's uh, the solution. But for an all star race where, you know, maybe you're not anticipating having a bunch of fans for whatever reason, maybe you could swing that one. Um, that's the only other solution I can think of other than stripping it away from SMI. So let's talk real quick about Formula One. I'm currently watching the Monaco Grand Prix, which has been an absolutely entertaining race because it has been an absolute crap show. Uh, rain and wrecks and, oh, it's just, it's, it's not been a, a quality race, I don't think, but it has been entertaining. I'll say that much more entertaining than the last few years, um, Saw some overtaking, which was only because guys were on inners when some guys were on wets and the track was drying out. So uh, other than that, kind of just follow the leader. So I think I have a solution to that, too, but I want to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix first. Uh, Max comes through to win, uh, where Ferrari really kind of had it seemed like they, they kind of had their race in the bag and then lost power to uh, Leclerc's car. And he ended up not finishing. This is kind of what Ferrari does, guys. And you saw that with with Vettel. Uh, they can start strong in a season, and then they kind of shoot themselves in the foot a couple times. They have a couple reliability issues, and then the next thing you know, uh, used to be Mercedes uh, overcomes them, and, and Ferrari can't get it back. They just kind of start panicking and, and making more mistakes, and uh, ultimately never being where the you know getting to the point they want to be at the year as champions. Um, science obviously forced in made an f- unforced error, spun off into the gravel, as did uh, Max, but Max was able to overcome. So just a lot of unforced errors, uh, kind of in, an interesting race. But what was really cool was a lot of cars went through the gravel. You saw that with Magnussen when him and Lewis got together, and uh, everyone was able to get power through out of the 
the gravel trap, which was really cool that no one got beached and had to finish just because they got stuck in the gravel trap, especially in Magnuson's case where Hamilton um, lost control of his car and pushed him off, essentially. Um, it did ruin K-Mag's race, and Lewis ended up having some pace after that and really could have contended for the win um, if he could have got track position. But uh, that's the first time, time we've really seen the Mercedes be fast. But keep in mind that that's a very, very Lewis Hamilton-friendly track. Uh, I think is four times in a row he had won there. So if that's his best, um, you really have to you know question, at your best you were only able to come up with a uh, fifth or sixth place finish. They, he lost a spot back to science because of uh, overheating issues that they had. So this, if this is your best track or one of your best tracks and you end up having problems like you did like that, you really have to question uh, whether Mercedes is going to have any kind of uh, viability this year contending for a win at all. They haven't really been strong today in Monaco. Um, not not contending with the top two manufacturers. So uh, just a little thing to think about. People were saying, oh, Hamilton's back. He's got the pace at his best track, one of his best tracks. So we start going into deeper into the year. I'm sure Lewis will have some kind of stake at some point in the year. It would be very hard for me to believe he doesn't win a race. But, um, yeah, it's kind of concerning that at a, a track that Hamilton is – Probably one of the best at the best that they could do was kind of labor through to finish in in I think fifth or sixth wherever they end up falling. Maybe it might have been sixth because I think he lost fifth to science there at the end. <clears throat> um, but Red Bull's doing kind of what they what they do right now, and and they you know slug their way out, and at the end of the race they they show that. They have championship form and they overcome. And obviously, Max was instructed, or Sergio was instructed to let Max pass. Um, but the way you have to look at that, in my opinion, uh, there were 16 laps to go. Max had caught him from several seconds back. I just don't think that Sergio would have been able to hold off Max, even at even at that track, which is extremely hard to pass. I think Max would have been able to get by in the last 16 laps, because then you saw he just absolutely drove away from him. So, uh, it's 14 minutes left in this race, and Perez is leading, so I'm really hoping he uh, he can pull this one out, uh, looking like maybe he, he gets this one back. So, I, I wasn't too concerned about it last week, though. I think that the, the orders were, it was, I hate team orders, but I think it would have been inevitable anyway, and had they raced for it, there's a good chance that they make contact, that they... Either you know, there's no telling. They maybe they hold each other up, and uh, so, you know they they end up losing first and second, or just uh, get split up. So I think it was the right call ultimately, just because Max was that much faster. So going into this weekend, though, uh, Monaco Grand Prix is going on right now. The Indianapolis 500 later on today, and then we have the uh, the Coke 600 tonight. So it's kind of the best day in racing. Um, Indy, I think, will be... It's last few years, it's been chaotic. It's been crazy. Uh, Jordan's picked Colton Herta to come through and win. I think that's a very good pick. Colton has started to show some maturity. Um, but I'm going to just go old school here. I'm going to take Dixon. He's got the pole. 
Um, he knows how to get it done. I think I've, in my research, he's only ever won this race one time. So uh, I'm going to stick with uh, stick with the old guys, just like last year with Alio. I'm going to stick with Dixon, and uh, I think he, he goes on to win. And then we're going to go to the Coke 600 tonight. So I know Jordan picked Truex, and that, I, to me, I think would have been a very, very good pick. Um, let's see here. Well, the Fords are not good. Um, otherwise, I might I might still pick with pick Blaney because um, of how he showed last week at a track that's configured pretty similarly. Oh, let's see here. I think I'm going to stick in the JGR camp. Um, Jordan went with the guy who's led the most laps in the Coke 600. I'm going to go with the guy who's led the second most laps en route to a win of the Coke 600. I'm going to go with Kyle Busch and the Candyman. I think after last week, he definitely showed that he was, I think, the guy to beat in Texas. And I think that uh, it, he'll just carry this over. I'm sure he's frustrated. Um, I think he's the one who ends up ultimately going and winning the Coke 600. So uh, those are our picks for this week. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about all of the racing action today. Uh, hope everyone um, gets some time with their families and friends, like I said, and, and just enjoy yourself, get some relaxation in. And uh, just remember, guys, and we'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye.